0: What one of us has not said, sometime or another, boy, it'd be great to win the lottery, wouldn't it? (laughs) We've all had that thought. Interestingly enough, uh, research has been done to prove that lottery winners are not any more happier than those who didn't win. The recent Powerball jackpot ticket was sold on the 20th of January of this year, and the winning ticket was for $731 million. It was sold in Maryland. the, The news I looked at here, looked up on the internet, was from the next day, and the person still had not identified themselves. And I'm pretty sure that's because... He just hadn't heard the news, or he'd have probably been down there with both hands out already. What are the odds of winning the Powerball jackpot? Well, according to LotteryCritic.com, your odds are 1 in 292,201,338. Or, as the way I look at it, Zero. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> not only are the odds not in my favor; I've just never been a very lucky person. You know, I just never win anything. Well, there was two times in my life I did win something. Both times my wife signed up for me. That's the only way I got. That's really. <laughs> Once I I got a I won a leisure suit. That kind of dates me. I'm sure. You know, leisure suits were popular for about six months back in the day. She signed up for me at a local clothing store, yeah. The only other time I won anything was $200 instant winner, McDonald's, McNopoly game. But I hadn't even pulled the thing off the cup. I bought a drink, went through, I didn't pay any attention to it. If I'd have pulled it off, it'd have said Baltic Avenue or something, you know. But, but my wife got in the car sometime later, pulled it off, and won $200. Uh, by the way, when you win two hundred dollars from McDonald's, you don't really win two hundred dollars. Believe me, it, you do two hundred dollars worth of paperwork to get it. <laughs> but anyway, I don't know whether you consider yourself a lucky person or not. I certainly do not. Uh, people ask me, "Are you going to play the lottery?" I said, "No, I just if, you know, if I'm going to pay taxes, I'll just send them in voluntarily. I'm not going to bother going to buy the ticket." It's, because I'm going to lose. Statistically, it is said that your chance of winning the Powerball jackpot is about the same odds of you becoming the President of the United States. Again, you know what that is? About zero. If not entirely zero. We all tend to think in terms of chance. We... we We look at life from a human perspective and we think it's just all random. There's no sense or there's no logic to it. It, it, it's It's just chance. But I want to pose the question for you this morning. For all of us to consider. Does anything actually happen by chance. Some people believe it's all chance. There's no sense to it all. It's just whatever happens, happens. There's even the other side of the coin. Some people think everything is prescripted to the point that man doesn't even have a free will. But I would guess that even the majority of Christians, although we believe in the sovereignty of God, we still pretty much look at life like, well, it just kind of unfolds by accident. Are there any such things as odds? Well, here's the thing. I think if you will think about it. You will agree with me that nothing, absolutely nothing, does actually happen by chance because God is truly God. And if there's anything in this world that is outside of his control, that he's not God. If there's anything that happens that he cannot change, that he cannot Incorporate into his plan that he is not God. But he is God. And we worship him as God. We recognize him as God. And he is an all-powerful God. He's an absolutely sovereign God. And for those Christians who do not understand this and who miss this reality, this firm and clear teaching in the Scripture... There is much to be lost in terms of your peace, comfort, and ability to just really roll with the punches of life. The fact that God is indeed God, an all-powerful God, a sovereign God, is very, very evident in our text for today. The 26th chapter of Matthew, the first 16 verses. Now, chapter 26 of Matthew, verse 1, begins on Wednesday of Passion Week. Wednesday of the last week of Jesus' life. Moving forward for the rest of the book of Matthew, moves right on through the crucifixion, the resurrection, and beyond. We're going to take a look at everything up through the resurrection in the next few weeks leading up to Easter. And that will not be long, about another five weeks maybe. But what I want you to see in this first passage we're going to look at is truly this, nothing happens by chance. It's so clear, it's so evident in this passage. What are the implications for us, and you might say at the same time, The proofs of the fact that nothing happens by chance. Well, there are three I want you to notice with me this morning. The first is simply this. The plans of God determine what happens. The plans of God determine what happens. Chapter 26, verse 1 says, Now, It came to pass when Jesus had finished all these sayings. Now, what is he talking about? He's talking about chapter 24 and chapter 25. That is called the Olivet Discourse. In those two chapters, he reveals the future. He focuses on prophecy. And those are intriguing and so informative chapters. He's finished the Olivet Discourse now, and he turns to his disciples in a moment of private conversation and, well, exhortation too. Now, it came to pass when Jesus had finished all these things that he said to his disciples, You know that after two days is the Passover, and the Son of Man will be delivered to be crucified. Well, they obviously knew that in two days it was the Passover because it was Wednesday. The Passover stretched into our Friday. Their calendar, the way they figured their days went from sundown to sundown. It's a little different, but... Well, yes, they knew that in two days it would be Passover, but he also adds this. He says, and the Son of Man, now that's him speaking of himself, his... His favorite terminology in identifying himself. But it's a capital S here and a capital M. He's not only a man born of a virgin, but he is also the Son of God, the second person of the Godhead. He is effectively both God and man at the same time. Without sin in his divinity and perfect substitute for us in his humanity. The Son of Man will be delivered up to be crucified. He is telling them exactly what's going to happen in two days. He's not only telling them what's going to happen, that he's going to be crucified, but he he reveals the process by which he is going to be crucified. He'll be delivered up, and we'll see more of that in a few moments as we look at the betrayal for a, a little while here in a moment. But he not only tells them what's going to happen and how it's going to happen, he tells them exactly when it's going to happen. In two days. Now, he doesn't give them the precise moment here. But we know from the chronology laid out in the Gospels that he died at exactly the time the Passover lamb was sacrificed on Passover. In fact, if you will... Remember, in John chapter 1, in verse 29, when John the Baptist saw Jesus coming, he said this. He said, Behold the Lamb of God. Why did he call Him the Lamb of God? Well, it goes back to the imagery of Isaiah 53. It also goes back to the typology of the Old Testament. Now, the Passover was a festival, a feast, a Jewish feast. Everybody in the Jewish uh, world that could flock to Jerusalem to observe the Passover in those days. And they were commemorating that time in Egypt when uh, Moses, after nine uh, plagues uh, had fallen on uh, Egypt and Pharaoh, and Pharaoh had refused to let the people go, uh, Moses Prepared the people for the Passover, and he he said, "Look, you'll 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 sacrifice a lamb, perfect and without spot. That will be for the Passover meal, and and you will put the blood of the lamb about the door. And when the death angel comes, which was the tenth plague, the death of the firstborn in Egypt, then the death angel will pass over you, and you will be spared. And that's exactly what happened. And God finally broke Pharaoh, and he." He let the people go. And the Jews celebrated that every year since. In fact, they still do. Unfortunately, many of those do not understand the Messiah has come. So the Passover had it occurred at a certain time based on the lunar calendar. And, and it was on Friday of Passion Week. It began Thursday night at sundown. And Jesus here being identified as the Lamb, the Passover Lamb. Then in John chapter 10, Jesus says this. He says, no one takes it from me. He's talking about his life. No one takes it from me. But I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down and I have power to take it again. Well, he demonstrated that, praise God. The command, he says, I have received from my Father. Now, even though he would be delivered, even though he would be arrested, even though he would be illegally condemned and crucified, it was the perfect plan of God. He only was on that cross because It was determined that he would go on to that cross for us. Nothing else could have put him there. It was a voluntary sacrifice. You see it again in the book of 1st Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 7 where Christ is called Christ our Passover who was sacrificed for us. So it was necessary for him to die on Passover. It was God's plan, God's perfect plan, at the perfect moment, fulfilling the typology of the Old Testament, fulfilling all that he had predicted and prophesied, for this was not the first time he told his disciples what was going to happen. God determines what happens, how it happens, when it happens. And you know, over the years, I have visited and sat with a number of folks who are facing very difficult medical problems. Maybe a very serious surgery or series of treatments. And more often than not, they have shared with me what the doctors have told them. And the doctors like to talk in terms of the odds. In some cases they say, well, you know, this is a very serious situation, but there's a 75% chance that everything will go well with your surgery and you'll be fine. Or they might say, you know, you take this series of treatments or you do this, you take this medication, there's a 90% chance everything will go fine and no problem. And what I have shared with these folks over the years is this, because I don't care if it's 75% or 50%, I don't care if it's 90%. It's the other 10% people are concerned about. And this is what I have shared with them quite often. Look, we are God's children. We are living our, our life in accord with God's plan. God's in control. A doctor can only see things from a human perspective, and so he says you have this chance or that chance. But with God, because he is God, and he's an all-powerful God, and he's our God, we don't live by chance. It's either 100% you're going to be fine, or 0% God's going to call you home. There is no chance. Zero percent is no chance, and 100 percent, well, chance isn't involved. We're in the hands of God. And God has numbered our days. And God loves us. And and God doesn't send us through such trials. He takes us through. He accompanies us in the journey. (laughs) And eventually... He's going to call each and every one of us home, and it won't be long, we'll all be there. You know that. Life is short for all of us. It's a passing, fleeting thing. But praise God, God's in control, and it's not a matter of chance what happens and when it happens and how it happens. And, and praise God, we know for 100% sure where we're going to be when it happens. they will be passed from this life. That we need to remember. The plans of God determine what happens. Now some people struggle with this because they have this expectation or this hope that this dreaded event or this terrible thing will not happen. And and when sometimes bad things happen, and by the way bad things happen to all of us, all of God's children. When bad things happen it's Kind of easy to wonder, is, is, is God really allow this? Is God really in control? And we need to be assured that He is. And we know that He takes bad things and uses them to bring about good things. All things work together for good. Romans 8, 28. He, he allows trials and troubles to break us, to make us into the image of Christ, to, to more like Him, more Christ-like, James one two to four, but our expectations, you see, in this life sometimes is that God, God, I don't want any problems, I don't want any struggles, I I don't, I don't want to deal with anything. I just want to have a perfect existence. You know what? We will, just not yet. Don't have that expectation now. That's the hope for tomorrow. So God plans everything, and He determines what it is that's going to happen, or what He allows to happen. There's a second implication I want you to observe here in this text. The contrary, and I say contrary, I mean the, the contrary plans or plots of men that are not what God wants. The contrary plots of men, they're inconsequential. They don't matter, and they don't affect anything. As hard as mankind tries to control his destiny, he only confirms the will of God. That's all that happens. Look at verse three. After what he said was going to happen, it begins to unfold. At that very moment, probably it was unfolding. Then the chief priests the scribes and the elders of the people assembled at the place of the high priest who was called Caiaphas and they plotted and plotted it says to take Jesus by trickery and kill him Just what he said it's already happening he said I will be delivered up what to be crucified to be killed and so they all all the the powers that be that rejected him as the Messiah, all the powers that be that were aligned with Rome and, uh, you know, cared only about their own power and prestige. All of those high and mighty people all decided, yeah, he's a problem. we got to get rid of him. You see what happened on the, the Sunday before? The people. The people think he's the Messiah. They welcomed him to Jerusalem as such. We can no longer tolerate his presence. And so they plotted to take Jesus by trickery, exactly in accord with what God had ordained. <laughs> it is so amazing. The plans of God and the plots of men often align perfectly, but not always. Look at the next verse. But they said, not during the feast, lest there be an uproar among the people. There was a lot of Jewish people in town, maybe upwards of two million for the Feast of the Passover. And many had come from Galilee and again across to Israel where he had done many miracles and had great crowds. They were afraid you know, oftentimes those who plot, those who lie, cheat and have no character to preserve their power are fearful people, they ought to be. They better be. They were afraid. He said, "We, we, we, we want to arrest him. We want to kill him. We want to get rid of him." not during the feast. There's too many people around who might get stirred up. Funny thing was, that was contrary to God's plan. Jesus already told the disciples back in verse 2, I'm going to be crucified on the Passover. That's the feast. And what God had determined and what God had planned, they couldn't change in spite of the fact they didn't want to do it then. That's exactly when it happened. But the plans of God will always unfold as he means for them to happen. Contrary plots of men are inconsequential. We get so caught up sometimes in the events and the circumstances of our life and of our culture and our government, our world, And there's plenty of things that involve mass amounts of unrighteousness and and may well, in the long run, cause all sorts of damage to individuals, churches. Who knows where things are headed, but God's in control. He's not caught by surprise. It's just unfolding as he planned. And soon, hopefully soon, Maybe it won't be that soon. We don't know. But hopefully soon, it'll all become so clear. Well, we won't be here to observe it, but there'll be many who come to Christ during those last days that will somehow be reminded through the preaching of the 144,000 or whatever. And they'll look back and they'll say, yep, everything's happening just like he said. Nothing's going to change it. So the plans of God determine what happens. The contrary plots of men, they're inconsequential. They don't make, they don't affect a situation. Oh, they may be indirectly in line with God's plan. God's a mighty God. He's sovereign. It's amazing how evil people do evil things and bring about God's will. <laughs> Sometimes though, they, they got something totally different planned, but yet, God just works his sovereignty in a situation somehow, some way. And exactly what he said, exactly what he planned, is what really happens. But there's a third implication, and this is the most important one. This is what we've been waiting on here. This is the blessing of understanding the sovereignty of God. The third implication is simply this. The believer's perception of God's plan is comforting. When we understand He's in control, we can relax. Years ago, when my daughter was first learning to drive, we made a trip to Florida. We left late in the day and we were driving late into the night. And I got very tired of sleeping. My wife was sleepy. But her daughter's wide awake. She's one of those kind of persons. Stay up half the night and be wide awake anyway. And we were on a stretch of the road and it was just absolutely no traffic. It was just us. I, I think, I don't think I saw a car for 20, 30 miles. And it was a four lane. And she said, Dad, let me drive. You're tired. And I said, that's a good idea. Even though she was just barely old enough to drive. But I never went to sleep. <laughs> I was wide awake. (laughs) You see, when you're not sure everything's okay, you're concerned. But when you are comfortably nestled into the arms of God, you're at peace. I want to show you somebody who was at peace. It's right here in verse 6 and following. And when Jesus was in Bethany at the house of Simon the leper. A woman came to him having an alabaster flask, of very costly fragrant oil, and poured it on his head as he sat at the table. Now, notice verse 6 says, And when? This is looking back. This is a flashback. This actually is Sunday before the Wednesday that is now, uh, you know, happening. You know, what he said in verses 1 through 5 all transpired on Wednesday." our Wednesday. They have different names for it in their calendar. But Matthew brings up something that happened a few days before Wednesday. It happened at a house, a man named Simon the leper. Now lepers weren't allowed to associate with people and they had to keep their social distance, even back in biblical times. Only it was extreme. They had to stay way away from everybody else and if they uh, saw someone coming toward them. They were obligated to, to say, you know, unclean, unclean. So people would stay away from them. But here's a, a meal inside in the leper's house. So, uh, it is quite likely that Jesus had healed him at some point. And this is a meal just honoring Jesus. It was in Bethany, which is just east of Jerusalem. From the eastern gate, you drop down into the Kidron Valley and you come back up on the top of the Mount of Olives and travel just a mile or two. You come to the little town of Bethany. I'm not sure it's still there in modern times. Well, this is where Lazarus lived. Remember Lazarus? You brought him out of that tomb? That just happened a few days ago here, by the way, in the context. But Lazarus had uh, two sisters, Mary and Martha. Martha. And, uh, probably Lazarus either never married or his wife was gone, and, and, and Martha probably was married, and maybe her husband had died. We don't know about Mary. <clears throat> they lived in Bethany, and there was an occasion that Jesus had eaten a meal at Bethany that was not this occasion, but it was an occasion at the house of Lazarus and Martha and Mary. And that's important, and I I'm want to show you why. But first, let's look at this. The woman, it says here, poured this expensive ointment upon him. Now, in John 12, which is a parallel passage, John says that she she poured it on his head and his feet. Here it just says his head. You know, I mean, doesn't mean the scripture's wrong. Uh, Matthew just didn't include that fact. And, in John 12, it says the woman that did this, that was Mary. No, not, not, not his mother, human mother Mary, not Mary Magdalene, but Mary, who was the sister of Martha and Lazarus, who lived in Bethany, although this was transpiring at the house of Simon the leper. And I can imagine that Martha was there assisting with the kitchen duties, because when you look back in Luke chapter 10, on that previous occasion I mentioned, that's what Martha was concerned about. She was trying to get a big meal together for herself and her sister and for Lazarus and for Jesus and for how many of his disciples were there and, and whatever other guests she may have invited. And it was a big deal. You ladies know what I'm talking about. When you have Christmas dinner or Thanksgiving, it's a big deal. Everybody's anticipating what you are doing, and what you are coordinating. And your husband's in there watching football. <laughs> well, maybe not. But he could be. You know, in a sense, that's what... Uh, Martha thought about Mary. She thought, he, he, Mary's in there doing something unimportant and she's not helping me. She got frustrated about it and she went and complained to Jesus. She didn't really directly complain to Mary. But she, I think she thought Jesus was going to say, Mary, for crying out loud, get in there and help your sister. What's wrong with you? But That's not what he said. Jesus looked up and he said, Martha, Martha, you're all troubled about many things but Mary has chosen the better part. Let me put it this way. He said, "Mary, you're you're Martha, you're all concerned about stuff that doesn't matter, but Mary's concerned about the most important thing because she was sitting at the feet of Jesus, partaking of his teaching and his word." Now, this is important because well, what was Mary doing here, pouring this expensive ointment by the way, you look at the other cross-references again, you find out that this was a type of ointment that, well, in this amount poured out of the flask would have amounted to a year's wages for a common working man. This was not just some small gesture. And look at the disciples' response. Verse 8, but when the disciples saw it, they were indignant, saying, why this waste? For this Fragrant oil might have been sold for so much and and given to the poor. Now, in John 12 again, that that parallel passage, we find out it was Judas who spoke up. But here it says the disciples, he, he had influenced the others to be a little bit disturbed here themselves. What a waste. But see, Mary was worshiping her Savior, just like we worship God when we put our tithes and offerings in a plate or pay it on PayPal or send it in the mail, whatever we do these, have to do these days. That's because we love Jesus and we worship God. I know we speak of it in a lot of different ways, you know. Over the years where I grew up, they always called it paying the preacher, you know. And if somebody had some problem, you know, they were, they, they, they had some difficulty in their life, people would say to them, you must not be paying the preacher. You know, we say things like, you know, we've got to keep the lights on. We've got to pay the bills around here. There's a practical function, yes. But it's worship, most importantly. And so, why this waste? Well, Judas, we know. We look down at verses 14 and 15. There it says, then one of the twelve called Judas Iscariot went to the chief priest and said, what are you willing to give me if I deliver him to you? And they counted out to him 30 pieces of silver. But you know what that amount was? According to Exodus 21, verse 32, that was the amount of a, to purchase a slave. And Judas betrayed the Lord Jesus for the price of a slave in those days. And uh, it wasn't a huge sum. He was he was an unbeliever from the beginning. Why would Jesus select him to be a disciple? Again, to fulfill the plan of God to have things develop exactly the way they went. And he betrays Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. We'll see how that plays out going forward. But uh It's no wonder he said, why this waste? Because we learned in other reference that, you know, he was uh, skimming a little money off the the top of all the funds people gave to Jesus and the disciples. Because he was the treasurer. Jesus knew it all. But Jesus also knew that he was a part of the plan of God in this case. So it's no wonder that Judas said, why this waste? Because a Judah, he, he, he's not, he, Judas isn't concerned about the poor. He's concerned about having a little bit more in the till so he can get a little bit more out. Nothing changes. There's people like Judas everywhere. But Mary, Mary was different. You see, Judas was upset because he didn't get a shot at the money that could have been made from selling this stuff. If she really wanted to give it to Jesus, it's just give it to us, we'll sell it. And we don't pour it out. But you know, she was pouring it out for a reason. Because the Jews anoint the bodies of those that die with fragrant spices and such. The women came and did that at the tomb of Jesus after his uh, burial. It's an important part of our Easter story. Now, we see this also in Jesus' response. Verse 10, but when Jesus was aware of it, He said to them, Why do you trouble the woman? For she has done a good work for me. Jesus said, She is giving me worship. I'm God, by the way. Worship is more important even than the poor. I guarantee you, if you don't worship God, you're not going to help the poor anyway. Verse 11, for you have the poor with you always, but... Me, you do not have always. Well, we always have the Lord, but not in bodily human form as they did at that point before his ascension. He goes on in verse 12, For in pouring this fragrant oil on my body, she did it for my burial. Wow. A pre-anointing, a pre-preparation. For his departure. Judas was upset about the money. Judas robbed up the disciples. They're upset about it. You see, when you don't understand that God's in control, you're always, you're always that way. Everything upsets you. Because things go wrong. Every day. You know, we, we, we plan each and every day just like it's all going to just, pew, just the way we want it to happen. That's what's in our head. And the first thing goes wrong, we get upset. And what we should do is say, Lord, this is the day I have planned. You know, now if you want to change it, go right ahead. I'm ready. Well, we don't think that way. We don't act that way. You know, I, I, I went to bed last night. I made plans, set my alarm clock right on plan, right right on time, that clock went off, and I didn't get up, changed my plans right there. Now, if God would have changed my plans, I probably got upset, but no, I changed my plan. That's okay, but God, no, you know, you're not supposed to change my plan. So I was okay for about five minutes, and then my wife punched me. She changed my plans again. She said, it's time to get up! You see, we, we, we just we think on a human plane, we act on a human plane. And we act and think like everything's just chance and you know, and we, we want to do this and we want to do that, and something interfered, and something was a problem, and nothing this didn't go right, and that didn't go right. We got all disturbed. That's where the disciples were disturbed. This wasn't the plan for this meal. This was supposed to be uh Simon recognizing the Lord and thanking Him for His wonderful, perhaps, healing. This wasn't to be part of it. So they were disturbed. You see, when our plans don't coincide with God's plans, well, we tend to get disturbed, don't we? But Mary had the perception that she had acquired from sitting at the feet of Jesus, probably as often as she could, that not even his disciples had. You remember, Jesus had told, told him several times, I'm going to be crucified and I'm going to rise the third day. Jesus at one, uh, one time told Jude, uh, Peter, and Peter said, oh, no, no way, Lord, that's not going to happen. You know, this is the way it's supposed to go, Jesus. You're supposed to start the kingdom. That's what we're expecting. That's what our plans are. Don't tell me something else is going to happen. The the disciples were in a state of denial all the way through his crucifixion. And it it didn't lift from them until his resurrection. But not Mary. She's anticipating his crucifixion. She's preparing herself and him for it. And she's at perfect peace and they're disturbed. Because she has the perception to understand God's plan, and she draws her comfort and her strength from that. And when we at least come to the knowledge that God is in control and live our lives with that thought and, and mind, and then that, that undergirding of our life, we can't have comfort and peace, and, because something's always going to be contrary to our expectations. Acknowledgement then of God's plan will bring acceptance. Do we live instead in a world of chance by our own estimation? No, we don't live in a world of chance. And we don't worship in a world of chance. Because if it's chance, we have nothing to worship. Those who remain oblivious to God's sovereignty, they're often disturbed. Those who accept it, no true peace. There's a, I don't know where to call it, a poem, a verse, whatever. I don't even know who wrote it. You can find it on the internet. It's anonymous. Diane uh, gave me a, a framed text. I had on the wall for a long time, and we changed some pictures around. I still have it. And I've looked at it on my wall often over the years, and it goes like this. It says, an acceptance is the answer to all of my problems today. When I am disturbed, it is because I find some person, place, thing, or situation, some fact of my life unacceptable to me, and I can find no serenity until I accept that person, place, thing, or situation as being exactly the way it is supposed to be at this moment. That's a very, very perceptive statement made by somebody who understood exactly what we're talking about today. God determines what happens. The plots of men don't change it. And when we begin to get an understanding of it all, when we perceive that God indeed is sovereign, then we will have our comfort and our peace in this life. A peace that passes.